Welcome to the Essential Church Podcast. Our goal is to strengthen and equip church and ministry leaders just like you through practical and theological discussions about some of the most pressing and important issues facing the local church today. We feature conversations with members of our team here at New Life Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado, as well as interviews with authors and thinkers from around the world. You can follow The Essential.Church on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, watch episodes on our YouTube channel, and also subscribe to our podcast via iTunes and Spotify, where you'll find a full archive of previous conversations. And now, here is this week's episode of the Essential Church Podcast. Welcome to this episode of the Essential Church Podcast, an ongoing conversation about some of the most important issues facing the local church today. I'm your host, Andrew Arndt, and today I'm going to take you to a conversation that Pastor Jay Duncan, the pastor of New Life Midtown, and I had with Chuck DeGroat, the author of When Narcissism comes to the church. He's a professor of pastoral care and Christian spirituality at Western Theological Seminary and a licensed therapist. And this uh, topic has been uh, a hot topic in society and in the church at large over the last bunch of years. And Chuck's book is a really beautiful look at what narcissism is, how it happens in our church structures, and what we can do to heal ourselves and our communities from its toxic effects. This is part two of our conversation with Chuck DeGroat. Without further commentary from me, here's to the interview. Good. Chuck, talk to us about this for a second, because here's, again, a a concern, I'll just, this is me being transparent, a concern that I have with some of um, uh, this, like the language of narcissism getting in the water supply, is that we're so... Again, if everything's a nar- everybody's a narcissist, nobody's a narcissist. But also, there is a potential peril here for leadership that we are so concerned all of a sudden about becoming narcissistic sure. leaders that we don't rise up and lead the way that we ought to lead. So would you talk to us for a little bit about what's the difference between a narcissistic leader and an appropriately self-differentiated and self-assertive leader, you know? Yeah. Well, so you just used really important language, um, self-differentiated, self-assertive. I would I would add to that emotionally intelligent leader. Mm. Um, so this is someone who knows knows himself, knows his own story, knows his impact, um, is able to differentiate himself uh, from you, um, isn't looking to pull from you for his own sense of ego, right? Um, is able to exercise, has the capacity to em- uh, exercise empathy in relationships, is self-aware, is able to metabolize feedback, right? And and that's very different. And, and here's the thing about it, right, is a, the, we base narcissism on appearance sometimes, right? And this is where I think I, I really agree with you that the word is overused. It's one of the reasons I wrote the book, you mm-hmm. know, is be, because people use it irresponsibly. Um, uh, yeah, he's such a, he's such a charismatic leader. He's so confident up there. That's really confidence is narcissism, right? Mm -hmm. No, actually confidence, security, self-assertiveness. Um, I mean, Jesus standing up in front of the Pharisees and saying, you brood of vipers or getting in Peter's face and saying, get behind me, Satan, or saying, you know, go tell that Fox Herod that I'm coming to Jerusalem. (laughs) He's not a narcissist, but he's not a pushover. That's exactly it. Right. And so we've got to get past appearances. And and this is where I think it's really helpful for us to tease out the different faces of narcissism, right? Because narcissism doesn't just come in the grandiose package. Mm-hmm. It, it comes mm-hmm. in it, it comes in a package of a, a guy who's like, 
oh, I'm just, I'm not like him. I can't preach like him. We're just a humble little church over here to the side. You know, I, I'm not that good at the, you know, talking and the preaching and the, you know, but we're just this faithful uh, little crew. I mean, we're, we're, we're really the only church, true church. We're the only faithful church. We're the only church that has the right theology, but we're just a humble group of people. And I'm like, eh, there might be a little narcissism there too. Mm-hmm. You don't look and dress the part. Um, you know, you, you, you don't have the big platform, but they're in a very different way. There's this sense that, uh, we're special, um, that, uh, we're unique, you know? And so it comes in different faces, right? Chuck, I was, as I was reading that chapter on narcissism and the Enneagram type, it, yeah. it was a little alarming because as I went through each number, I had a person and a face and a story associated with each one of those people is actually very, very helpful. What yeah. else would you like to share, particularly around just the way those different nine faces of how narcissism shows up within that particular model? Yeah, well, this was this this was where you know some, sometimes um, I think books should be peer reviewed, um, like academics, you know, work in spaces where you know sometimes there are people like me who write a chapter where I'm like I've only tested this with a few people yeah. and I'm going to put it out there and thankfully it's been mostly well-received. You know, people have had some resonance with it, but uh, I've been working with the Enneagram since the late 90s. Um, and uh, there are some folks who've done work on the, the, the what we call the nine levels of development, like the psychopathology of the Enneagram, uh, how narcissism shows up in particular types. Naranjo talked about narcissism in the Enneagram 7. Um, I, I really, I began to see it uh, even going back to the early to mid-2000s in, in the nine types. Um, you know, the, the one that most people ask about is like a nine, like nines can't be narcissists. There's Mm. no way all the types, but have you ever experienced the quiet rage of the nine? You know, the nine who is, um, who is it? Uh, Suzanne Stabile maybe is the one who says they store up our, uh, arrows in their quiver. Mm. Right. Um, there's a passive, yeah, passive aggressive nature to them, and they will shut you out. Nines are really good in the nicest possible way of saying, I'm going to close this door and not talk to you. That's right. And it's your fault, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so, um, and, and what's really interesting about that is, is nines have wrote, written to me and have said, that's spot on. And mm. that's exactly wow. how I shut people up. And that, that is the defense mechanism that I developed. That's my power. Mm-hmm. That's my superpower. And it looks so nice. And I've duped people into thinking that I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm a, a nice, quiet, boundary person, but really I'm, a, and I'm, I'm an incredibly angry person. Mm-hmm. And um, this, is, this is my way of, of, of shutting them out or shutting them, um, them down. And so, wow. yeah, it looks different on these different faces. Can you talk about lifestyle habits or spiritual practices that might help us as leaders? Earlier you said, and Jade pointed out, that it's not just non-narcissists and narcissists, but there's a spectrum of this, that we can become self-absorbed in our personalities, yeah. unempathetic, all of a sudden we're pulling power to ourselves in a way that excludes other people and diminishes yeah. people. Can you talk talk to leaders for a second? Mm-hmm. What kinds of organizational practices, yeah. lifestyle habits, spiritual practices can we do to keep us in a place that is appropriately self-differentiated, assertive where yeah. it needs to be, but humble, vulnerable, that, those kinds of things. And empathetic, yeah. I think, above all. 
Yeah, I wish I wish I had uh, I wish I could rattle off like here are three to five things that are surefire mm. strategies, right? Um, I think back to just a real quick um, story around this. Uh, Twenty years ago, working with a guy, I won't give you his name, who became a, a celebrity pastor, and um, I, when I was working with him, I was his mentor, and I, I was in my early thirties at the time, but I remember him saying to me. I think I have the capacity to be very dangerous as a pastor one day. Wow. Uh, he's a good-looking guy. He's very, he was an incredible communicator. Um, he had family connections that, that we knew would allow him to find his way into spaces that uh, of some influence. And uh, we, we came up with a plan. And we're going to have some good people in your life. I remember he had a senior pastor in his life. Um, he actually took a role at a church where he'd be the number like three or four which I thought was a really good, just don't jump into yeah. church planning at a seminary, um, did a lot of the right things, right? But I often say that narcissism evolves. And um, and I got a ton of really good feedback in that work, even around his humility, even around his choices that he made, finally ventured out to plant a church. Um, and and uh, as, as, he, as he planted, he became more and more insulated because, you know, as a leader— uh, if you ever you've led something, ever ever you've been sort of at the top of the the food chain, is that the right way of saying? Yeah. Um, you know, there's a sense in which when when you when you get those really hard emails, when people start coming after you, mm-hmm. you get a little tender, um, and especially if you're on the narcissistic spectrum, there's it's sort of like, ouch, no, I don't want that. So you insulate yourself more and more. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that happens, uh, I think Andrew, you asked the question, right? One of the things that happens is, and this gets to the practice, is you cut yourself off from feedback, uh, from people who are willing to give you the really honest, really hard feedback. And and that's exactly what he did. And I think every, I think number one on my list is every pastor, every church planter has to have um, people in his life who are willing to answer the question, how do you experience me? Yeah. And do it without threat of retribution or losing your job or something like that. I mean, when I was in leadership out in San Francisco, the people who reported to me regularly gave me feedback on um, how I impacted them. And it was hard, right? It's really hard to hear sometimes. I mean, I will regularly hear feedback that, Chuck, you're the guy that talks about presence. And yet, uh, here at the, I had a student tell me this here at the seminary, and yet you're so busy and so pulled in all these different directions that I can hardly get your attention when you're walking across the atrium here at the seminary. Andrew knows the atrium. Mm-hmm. When, you're, when you're going to get a cup of coffee and then you're racing back to your office and you're closing your door because you're going on some podcast with these guys, you know, <laughs> I can hardly get your attention. Um, you talk about being unhurried and being present, and yet I experience you as hurried and distracted. Mm. That's really hard feedback to get yeah. and to metabolize and to say, okay, Chuck, what do you have to learn? Yeah. And so I'd say top, top for me practice is who do you have in your life um, who is willing to give you that kind of real, honest, hard feedback? And the higher you up in the, you're up in the food chain, um, the more insulated you become. As Diane Langberg says, the more anxious you become. Mm. Because leaders often think, you know, as I climb up the food, I won't feel all the anxiety I used to no, feel. It gets when worse. I worse. Well, it's worse, yes. right? Um, because now you got people coming after you and, you know, why are the carpets that color? Yeah, and visible. how come we added this much to the budget? All the stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And so 
the more defended you become, and that's how narcissism mm-hmm. evolves. So who wow. do you have in your life to give you real feedback? I love that because that was from your section towards the end of the book where you talked about healing narcissism. So in ourselves, one of the things that we can do is just be vulnerable enough to say to the folks that work with us, how are you experiencing me? Can yeah. you give a couple other things? Because we promised our listeners this at the beginning, but healing narcissism. Um, so if we're concerned yeah. that we are that person and we want to take yeah. some t- steps towards healing, what are some other things that we can do to help yeah. heal that shame wound that is driving a narcissistic personality? So you just, you just named it. Um, I think one of the big things is what is my shame wound, you know? And so I so often hear from leaders, I, do, I don't have one. I'm confident, Chuck. Look at me. I mean, uh, I, I mean, th- these are the, these are the, seminarians who get the preaching award, and um, they've generally been pretty successful. The shame wound generally goes back to a very early age. And so, but they're not looking that far back. They're saying, I've been, I've always been pretty confident. I don't think there's anything there. There's no there there, Chuck, you know. And so find a competent trauma-informed therapist who's willing to sort of trace this back in your story. And if you're open to it, um, be willing to name those pain points in your life, those places where you may have been missed or neglected or wounded in ways that, and and like I was saying, you know, I'm, again, I'm looking over my couch. I sit here three or four days with a pastor, mostly men in these kinds of conversations where, you know, the first couple of days they're like, there's nothing to find here, Chuck. You're not going to find it. You know? <laughs> and then three or four days in, it's, it's like, we just, we land on something. Maybe it's something that they thought was small. You know, it was like we moved around seven or eight different times in my childhood. What was the impact of that on you? You know, um, I remember working with a guy who uh, was a was a really gifted um, athlete and uh, missed the missed catching the pass that would have won the national championship. And walking over to the bench and feeling all alone in his pain, and he got scolded by his coach. Oh, and that. The, the the wound there is obvious. Um, the the learning for him was never ever fail again. Yeah. And so and it and it was sort of like when we went back into that, the tears start to come and it's like, oh, but yeah, that's what is. I learned. Is that if I drop, if I if I fail, if I if the sermon isn't perfect, if yeah. if I don't deliver I'll I'll, you know, the coach will come to me and say, um, you don't deserve to be on the team. You're a loser, whatever it is, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we had, ter- oh, and let me just say this is I, I've done these narrative, uh, p- part of my assessment for the last, I mean, I've been doing this for a long time now. Um, part of my narrative assessment is what's the worst thing that can happen in ministry. Mm-hmm. And 95% of the time, it's some version of I will fail. Yeah. And that's wow. just really telling. When, when, you know, I, I mean, I, I just, I read the gospels and I, I mean, I just think like failure is normative, <laughs> you know, like weakness, failure, struggle, um, is pretty, pretty normal in the Christian. I mean, the Matthew five, the Beatitudes begins with blessed are the Patogas, the poor in spirit, yeah, yes. those who've come to the end of themselves, right? Like, but we haven't learned to metabolize failure. And, um, wow. and so, uh, so we've got a lot of work to do to sort of, um, create new cultures where people, um, you know, I'm not against church planting or church growth, but how do we create cultures where, where pastors are allowed to, to fail in ways where, um, there's permission, there's honesty, there's transparency, there's repentance, there's recovery. So that's the work. 
Chuck, while we're on this vein, this is a bit of a two-part question. Can you tell our listeners about the Soul Care Intensive for any of those who might be interested? And then how does a pastor, a leader, a person, how do they identify a good therapist or a good spiritual director? What are some things that they should be looking for if they want to start that journey? Yeah. Well, there are a number of us who do these intensives nowadays. Um, I I was trained in doing this work going all the way back to my early 30s. And back then... I thought, Chuck, you're too young to be doing this. You're just not, you're not, you don't have enough experience. And so I hit pause on it for a number of years and I returned to it maybe seven or eight years ago. And um, I found it to be uh, the five day work to be really significant, right? Because it's one thing to like go to your therapist once a week and in the middle of a busy day, kind of check in and talk about some like hard thing that happened. It's another thing to sit for three hours a day and to really dig into your story, to really dig into uh, feedback. I'll, sometimes when I work with pastors, I'll ask them to get feedback from people who've worked with them, anonymous feedback, really hard, right? And I'll uh, I'll do the work of sort of summarizing some of the themes. And, um, you know, they'll sit there with, you know, kind of deer in headlights, like, wow, I didn't realize that people experienced me like that. Mm-hmm. And not to shame them, um, and not to say you're disqualified from ministry, but to say, okay, let's just absorb that and let's um, process it. Let's meta- So, um, yeah, so it's a five-day, three-hour-a-day work that we do, um, really deep work where we get into your story, we get into your life, we get into how you show up, we get into um, uh, uh, the different per- parts that we play or personas that we put on in life and ministry. And I, I don't know if you guys can relate to that, but there's like a me that's showing up right now with you that is not the same me that shows up, you know, mm-hmm. at, at dinner with my wife or when I'm, you know, my, my girls talk about airport dad. Airport dad is a really anxious guy, you know, so there's confident Chuck and there's funny Chuck and there's wow. um, passive aggressive Chuck and there's wounded little boy Chuck. And, yeah. you know, and we, we talk about these different ways that we show up and how we become a more integrated and wholehearted person. So there's a lot of really good work we do in five days. So great. I want you to end right here, Chuck. We need to yep. wrap up in just a second here. But I want to I want to get Pastor Chuck talking for a second, Therapist Chuck talking for a second, to folks who have been wounded by narcissists. Mm. Yeah. Um, what would you say to them to ease the pain of it? And what direction would you give to them to heal from the wounds of it? Yeah, so I'm glad you asked that. So... Uh, I'm doing some writing on this right now because this has become important to me, especially the last few years. Um, You guys are on social media, so you see some of the pain out there in folks, right, who've been wounded in in abusive churches, right? And um, and, uh, and that pain is often externalized. Like, we want justice. We want to name what happened to us. We want to, we want to write about it. We want to tell our story. We want to podcast about it. We want to blog about it. We want to um, we want to name the person who hurt us on on Twitter. I get that. I get. Uh, Twenty years ago, I was fired, and I was um, I dreamed of ways to hurt the person who mm. fired me. You know, I'm really thankful there was no Twitter uh, in 2003. Um, but but you know, uh, there's trauma that happens in the midst of this. And Gabor Mate, who's brilliant on this, says trauma is not what happened to you; it's what happens within you in the absence of a compassionate witness. And so, so often we're focused on what happened to us. And I want to acknowledge what happened to you, but I also want to say, so what does that mean for what's happening inside of you now? 
how you're processing that. And, and now let's talk about how you heal from, from trauma. And oftentimes the way people think they should heal from trauma is re-traumatizing. And so they'll go to, um, I'm going to confront my you know, abuser on social media. I'm going to out him in this particular kind of way when they haven't yet done their inner work. And, and so oftentimes to kind of get full circle to your question, I'll say to folks who are like, they'll write to me and they'll say, uh, I think I'm working for a pastor who's abusive and maybe narcissistic. What do I do? Do I confront him? Should I write a letter? Should I get some other people to call him out? Should I put it on social media? Should I call it? No, go to a therapist. Go to a good trauma-informed therapist and spend six months to a year processing what's happening within you. Get to a place where you can kind of get centered enough um, to to do this really thoughtfully, to engage a process that will not re-wound you. Um, Because that's what I end up finding is that people uh, engage in strategies that they think will help them get the justice they, they want or to heal the wounds externally. When, when really the work needs to be done in here. And again, not to minimize some of the things that have to be done out there sometimes, um, but you got to do your work in here. Does so, that make sense? It's so good. It, well, it just reminds me of what the Psalms are. The Psalms are, so much of them, they are the wounded, they are the victim lifting up yeah. their voice to God. And right. it's in a one way of looking at those Psalms is that they're being in the therapist's office. <laughs> giving it yeah. to God. Yeah, yes. the emotions, the yes. bodily. I mean, David names all the yes. somatic wounds, the emo- like all this stuff, right? right? But in a very transparent way before God. And it's a, you, a healing happens in it, and then justice yes, is put right. in the hands of God. God is going to take care of those who have victimized you, and yeah. you don't have to do it. And yeah. we can embody that for one another um, yeah. through therapy and spiritual direction and just being a soul friend yeah. to one another, like being standing yeah. and being willing to stand in each other's pain. And just to be clear, yeah. you said six months to a year. Well, I, I want people to engage the work in an unhurried way, mm-hmm. you know, and that might not be possible if you're in a situation where, that feels like things are beginning to boil over. Right. I mean, um, but, but, but at least get some care and have someone wise who's looking out for you because People end up in relationships. I think this is what happens on social media sometimes, where they're trauma bonding in a way wow. that um, mm. y- you end up you end up sort of uh, re-traumatized, re-traumatized in and through that, right? Like, um, and, and so uh, so you need someone looking out for you. You need someone who cares for you. You need someone who's willing to say, "Hey, step back from." from those places, step back from telling your story to all these people, step back from trying to strategize around, you know, how to get back at the pastor uh, or how to get justice. We can get to that. Um, but let's let's get you into a place where you're able to make those choices in, as you said earlier, Andrew, in a differentiated way and maybe a less anxious way, in a non-reactive way. Uh, that's what's really important. It's good. Well, Chuck has a hard stop here in a couple minutes, so we just got to end it. There's so much more to talk about. You can, I mean, grab the book, When Narcissism Comes to, to Church. You can find Chuck on his website. I think it's chuckdegroat.com. Is that right? Dot .net. .net, and then tons of stuff on YouTube. So uh, do the work, friends. This is an important issue for us. I think uh, listening to what Chuck has to say can help lead all of us into health. Chuck, we bless you, and we yes. thank you for your fine work. And... Uh, Have a great night with your family tonight. Thank you so much. Great to be with you both.